Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you today to Bible study time. I hope you had a restful night and that you're ready to open God's Word and reach inside and see what we can come up with this morning. It's a beautiful day here where I am. I, I hope your day is pretty and that it starts as gloriously as mine has the sun shining here in Virginia. And I want to speak a word of just just love to you for a minute and let you know that we're praying for you. If you if you if you have any difficulties or worries today, just let, let them slide away as you envelop yourself in the love of God and the study of his word. I know this time of year, sometimes we have a lot of worries and frustrations and so forth about the Christmas season and what we're going to do and everything. But if you can just let that. Just let, take that coat off and hang it up and rest in the love of the Lord this morning. We have a, a wonderful text to look at today here in the Sundays of the Advent season. We're in the third Sunday. Let me read a prayer to you before we begin. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, you cause all holy scriptures to be written down for our learning. Grant that we may in such a way hear these scriptures, read them, mark them up, learn and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort in your word, we can hug and embrace and ever hold fast to the wonderful hope of everlasting life which you have given us in this infant Jesus. We thank you, O Lord. Amen. Well, our text today is from the Gospel out of Matthew's gospel, and we're reading and continuing in a study of some of the prophecies there. <clears throat> Matthew, in particular, has a, a long liturgy of various scriptures that he presents forth as prophetic utterances of the Lord. And, and I want to just begin reading here at chapter 2 of Matthew. If you would turn to chapter 2. And we will start reading at the 13th verse thereof and go on through to the end of the chapter. Now, uh, as this begins, let me give you the context of it. The wise men have just visited the uh, infant child. And then uh, after they were gone, we begin with the 13th verse here of the second chapter of the gospel according to Matthew. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up and flee to Egypt with the baby and his mother, the angel said, and stay there until I tell you to return. For King Herod is going to try to kill the child. 
That same night, he left for Egypt with Mary and the baby. Two years before. This brutal action of Herod fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah. Quote, Screams of anguish come from Ramah, weeping unrestrained. Rachel weeping for her children, uncomforted, for they are dead. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and told him, Get up and take the baby and his mother back to Israel. For those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So he returned immediately to Israel with Jesus and his mother. But on the way, he was frightened to learn that the new king was Herod's son, Archelaus. Then in another dream, he was warned not to go to Judea. So they went to Galilee instead and lived in Nazareth. This fulfilled the prediction of the prophets concerning the Messiah. Quote, He shall be called a Nazarene. Unquote. There ends the reading for today. Through the word for our consideration is before us now. This is this is a a story about what it's been called in literature and the arts. It's been called the flight into Egypt. If you like art and you study art, you'll know that the masters in Brussels and all around the world uh, eventually come upon this subject matter and paint pictures of it. The reason they do this is because it's such a compelling narrative. It's a wonderful story and uh, full of pain, misery, and grief, of course. But but it's also a study of how the Lord takes his son and gives him divine protection. <clears throat> how he moves and talks through dreams. I want to look at a couple of words of interpretation as we look at this text. But. Basically, it's relatively simple 
to 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 understand the, the Lord after the wise men come and incidentally the wise men are not probably they are not little pretty kings sitting on camels what they more likely are are Parthian diplomats uh, who have come in entourage with their food and their supplies on Arabian stallions looking like something that'll cut your head off. They were frightening, probably. That's why Herod was afraid of them. They were diplomats. They had diplomatic immunity. He had on his hands Parthian uh, people, and he was Roman's, Rome's puppet. The last thing he wanted to happen was to get Parthia mad with Israel because it was a huge, it was like what was left of the Persian Empire. They were frightening people. So, uh, so much for the little wise men. They dumped on Jesus gold, frankincense, and myrrh at his feet. Joseph picked it up. He had in his hands the means to travel. He had the wealth now to go get where he needed to go. He didn't know what he was going to do with it, but then the Lord revealed it to him where he was to go, what he was So He left and took that flight, took that child and the mother on down far into Egypt, some 400 and probably 450 miles or more. Uh, and he, he walked with a donkey and a woman who had not too long had in childbirth. It was a difficult journey. They probably went uh, down the, the road by the sea, they called it. There was only really one, one that went that direction to Egypt. It went down by the sea, went down the Mediterranean Sea, and then stayed right on a hook around the Mediterranean Sea, right into Tanis in Egypt. And and he stayed there for a while, and then an angel appeared to him and said, come on back, we're safe now, and Herod is dead. And he comes back, and then the angel goes, whoop, hold it, don't go back, go 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 north. And he goes to Nazareth, and there he, he, he begins to raise the child. But Joseph is the central character here. It's Joseph who receives a dream. But that's the story. But in the midst of it is this slaughter of the innocents, this killing of the children. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful thing. But let me look at a couple of words here, and then we'll, we'll get back to that in a minute. When they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Uh, first of all, when you translate the word angel, you remember it means in Greek messenger messenger they have a message to give you see angel angel got message it's just as simple simple as that you see an angel angel has a message and don't mess with the angel when he's given his message see but you remember Zechariah in in Luke's gospel will make this mistake he will argue to try to argue with the angel Gabriel he will say well I'm an old man I won't have any children how am I going to have the, the prophet John how am I going to have John the Baptist? Do? My wife Elizabeth, she, she's she's old as Methuselah. That's this is not. And 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 Gabriel bucks up and says, "I'm Gabriel. You won't say another word until this child is born, and you will name him John. That's it. In other words, the button is popped out on that turkey. He's done. See, he's just simply done. When you confront an angel, angel has something to say. Let him say it." And he says it. The Lord appeared to him in a dream. Dream now. Dream is a word you want to look at close to. Because dream doesn't always mean something that happens to you when you're sleeping. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not that. 
It may not be that. It may be that, but it may not be that. It may be more like a trance, which is what the Greek word interprets into. If you take it apart, it's it's, it's a trance. He goes into a, a something like something close to like praying in the spirit, perhaps, perhaps more like 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 sleepwalking. I I, I don't know, but I do know that Joseph is wired that way. He's wired that way. Why is Joseph wired that way? I'll tell you why I think he might be wired that way. If you look preceding this, Matthew goes to a great extent to show you the lineage of the of somebody. He starts off with then goes on down through Abraham and on down the all the way down the line until he gets to who? Who? Of course, Joseph. Joseph. Who, who, who stand there innocent of anything other than having the same DNA that runs right down that line, runs right down that line. He is wired in his DNA to respond to this angelic moment and to do what God tells him to do. Some people say he's an old man. Big deal. That don't mean nothing. I, uh, some 70-year-old man jumped off a building here this week and, and, and parachuted downtown. I mean, you... you <laughs> It's because you're old, don't mean God won't use you. And so he does. It was sick, this young child, to destroy him. Oh, man, that word destroy. He wants to tear it to pieces and throw it up in the air. He wants to uh, gore him like a bull. He doesn't just want to kill Jesus. He wants to destroy. See, I think it was Paul Tillich, a great Christian theologian, that says that the devil is interested in one thing about you, and that is that he wants to deface you. Deface you. He wants to shame you and deface you. He hates you that bad. He hates you so much. Hate you, hate you, hate you. That kind of hate. He wants to just deface you. And so, that's what he wants to do. But Joseph obeys the angel and takes off until the death of Herod. Spoken of by the Lord of the prophet. Now these prophetic utterances are peculiar to Matthew. See, we've got a gospel on our hand here who's different from the others. Remember, don't forget, the gospels are all different, but three of them are somewhat alike. They call that synoptic tradition. They are synoptic, similar. Similar, different, different but similar. Now Matthew's narrative of the birth of Jesus is far different from that of Luke's. And the narrative of, of Mark's uh, birth of Jesus is what? It ain't there. See? It's not there. And, and the narrative according to John's gospel, fourth gospel, is it there? No, it's not there. So it's only in these two. Matthew and Luke. Matthew and Luke. And it raises the issue of, well, why, why does Matthew have such a propensity toward these stories, these narratives of the infancy? Because, very simply, in the early life of the church, there was an explosion of literature about the birth, infancy narratives of Jesus. And they are wonderful. The only trouble is, they may not be true. I mean, they may, <laughs> they may be completely apocryphal. They didn't make it their way into the New Testament, but they're out there. If you want to study them, you can do that. There's no problem to look up the apocryphal New Testament and look at some of those, some of the, one of those ancient writings. It says that when uh, Joseph and Mary and the infant Jesus were going on their way to Egypt, they stopped at an oasis. 
where there were palm trees, just a few growing in the in 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 the desert there, and they spent the night by a well, a well. But that night, during the night, during the night when the moon came up, the palm trees could sense the presence of the Lord, and they began to turn toward the Lord. And in the morning, the palm trees, the, the, the palm trees had had bowed down and were covering the the the, the the blanket of the baby Jesus. Oh, <laughs> that's quite a story. <laughs> it to be true. I don't know. Who cares? So my a preacher friend of mine says, I don't know whether it's true or not, but it ought to be. <laughs> it ought to be true. <clears throat> but maybe it didn't. I don't know. But anyway, in a in a dream, we, we, we've looked at that word. I had another word I want to look at into the text here, which was the... Uh, Word Archelaus, he is the son of Herod. Now Herod was a killer. He was a killer. He killed everything around him, just about. His own children, wives, whatever. He was very much interested in his legacy. And so when he got ready to die, he wanted the people to mourn his death, so he killed some people. So that they would be mourning when he died. I mean, he, he was he was he was rough, a rough, rough character. Uh, but a killer who 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 did some things that were good, built a temple. Uh, had a lot of good programs for some of the people, but he was, unfortunately, a murderer. And I want to say that about him as we get to the subject of the murder of the innocents of the children. Children there. Very quickly, <clears throat> let me say that uh, this death of these infants it, it stuck with us in the church. We, we always looked to children as a help to help us understand the gospel. Jesus says, suffer little children to come unto me. You remember that? Well, that's rare. This was a world in which infanticide was practiced liberally, uh, all, all kinds of ways, uh, just very liberally. It was in, in Carthage, uh, they uncovered acres and acres of small little clay pots with infants in them that had been offered to gods. Oh, my God. If, if, if girls were born sometimes and, and the family, for some reason, didn't want them, couldn't raise them, they'd just take them out and throw them, in, throw them on the side of the road somewhere. Just leave them out to call it being exposed. They would expose them, they called it. Oh, my. But the church of, of all different faiths has concentrated and focused on children down through its history. Stanley Hauerwas, professor at Duke University, has spoken on this subject about Christians, Christianity, and children, and how the two have, have, have come to, to, to help us to understand our faith better and to make us take care of each other and love one another. But don't domesticate your religious faith too much. That's domesticating it. Remember that this starts in this infanticidal movement of Herod to kill all those children two years and under. Well, now, how many was it? That's a speculation. Um, I think, uh, Professor William M. Albright, he was, uh, says that there was probably 300 people living in Bethlehem at the time, which would have meant that on average there were six or eight children under two years of age. So it wasn't this great, large, huge massacre. It was just probably less than a dozen children. In fact, we know the slaughter of the innocents, though, is still remembered by the church on the 28th of December, usually the Sunday after Christmas, you're going to hear this in a liturgical church. This text is read year after year after year to reinforce in us how God took Jesus out 
of the hands of Herod into Egypt, down that long road, back again to, to, to live finally in Nazareth, all on the protected prophecy of the Lord. So there you have it. There you have it. It's not a simple text, but when they were in that Egyptian place, wherever it was that the Holy Family wound up, was the birthplace of the Coptic Church. The Coptic Church is still there in Ethiopia. There's a little strange group, but the Egyptian Coptic Church is something to look at and study. They build their churches high up on mountaintops so nobody can get to them. And you've got to climb a rope to get up there in some cases. That, you know, flies in the face of contemporary logic. We want our churches out so everybody can see them and find them and come to them. And so, not the cops. They know that they're serious about their church. They don't want nobody just walking in there off the street. So they put it up on a mountaintop. So you can, <laughs> it's, it's quite a, quite an interesting study, the cop church. But they trace their birth and their place to this time in history when Jesus came to them as a baby on a donkey to live with them and to begin his life in Egypt. And to then go out of Egypt like Moses of old, pulling the teeth out of the devil, going right back to the Holy Land to die for me and for you and for all those children that were lost as slaughter of the innocents. Well, that's what you have today. You have the story of a slaughter, slaughter of innocents. Just remember that the Lord is with you and that you may have dreams and visions and the potential of power long with high, you know, long away from what you can imagine. But prayers like that, prayer opens visions and vistas of things to come and things in past. I don't know how, I don't know why, but they do. Now, as I bid you farewell today, let me just take a remark on a couple of things that we have done. What we did was, we took the wise men and began talking about them. Then we took made the reasons for the trip. We talked about how they were running from the wrath of Herod and to fulfill the words of the prophecy of Hosea there. We talked about how while they were, just as they left Herod, slaughtered the innocents, took the children and some of those children, those male babies, and, and in an attempt to eliminate Jesus, he killed those children. And then we talked about the return, how he received those other two dreams. The first dream, hold it, Herod was now dead. And the second, uh, sort of a trance revealed that Joseph is told that he should dwell in Nazareth. And he becomes, therefore, a Nazarene, which Matthew uh, attests, but does not give the source of that prophecy. But in any regard, Jesus comes back as an infant to begin his ministry among us. So, as you're going to celebrate Christmas this year, you can remember some things like Christmas. Christmas is a special time. Christmas is a wonderful time. Uh, when, when we, but remember, there's a dark side to it. There's a painful moment when the children are offered as a sacrifice for this Jesus who is coming as the Savior of the world. That's some story, isn't it? It surely is. Well, I want to bid you farewell. And I want to say, uh, well, just say Merry Christmas. I may see you again before then. But trust the Lord. Be obedient to his word. Ah, 
I hope you enjoyed today because I sure did. I sure enjoy being with you. I, I really do. Let me have a little short prayer and then let you go. All right? Lord Jesus, look with favor upon these that hear my voice. Watch over them, strengthen them, and increase in them a love of thee. We remember the innocence that were lost, that you might have life. Oh, Jesus, a life to, for you to sacrifice on the cross for me and others all around the world. And bless the children. In Jesus' name, amen. Bye-bye. See you next time. Bye-bye. Eu quero ser um testemunho Remove o erro e crie o bem em mim Estrela alva brilha em mim Brilha a luz que anunda o meu Senhor, eu vejo o mundo triste, atribulado pela ação de Satanás. Clamando no escuro, correndo e Yeah.